Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries. This is today's episode of our Truth Tidbits as we continue reading through the scriptures this year. We are in the book of Revelation. We have just completed Revelation chapters 1 through 3 in the few previous episodes, and we are just about to enter into Revelation chapter 4. We're in an in-between transition period, and I want us to discuss that a little bit in depth today before we actually jump into chapter 4, beginning with the next episode. So for today, I'm going to be reading several different scriptures as we explore this transition that is evident in chapters 3 and 4 of Revelation, or between those two chapters, and which fits the outline that Jesus gave to John in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. So today I want to start out by discussing a bit of a theological topic with you. I want to discuss the dispensational theology, I guess we would call it. Now, I am no theologian. However, I am a student of the Bible, and I believe the Bible makes very clear, just in simple reading, you do not have to have a doctorate to understand this, that the Bible itself speaks of various dispensations, we might call them, of time. So I want to talk about this today and show you why this is true and how the biblical record supports it. So first of all, let's consider this. Dispensation, the Greek word for dispensation used in the New Testament is oikonomia. Oikonomia, I believe. I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce it. It's also referred to as the fullness of time in some scriptures, and that is a different Greek word, but it's the same concept. And what we're talking about here is a specific, specified set of time. We may call it an age or a time period or a season. And it's really the administration during that time or stewardship, oversight, and management of that. Can also actually refer to like a fiscal agent or a treasurer. But we're talking about a period of time when there are those chosen over that time period and operating in that time period to discharge the desired result of God for that time period. So in other words, we're talking about stewards in each specified time period or season or age, if you want to call it that. This word in the Old Testament can also be referred to biblically by the word until. It's the Hebrew word ad, A-D. And it means up to or even up to. It talks about being as long as needed, as far as needed, as much as needed. Or in other words, until tells us about a point that terminates one thing and a new begins. A new season, a new different thing happens, a new event, etc. 
The very first prophetic use of this particular word in the scriptures, there are times when it's used prior to this, but in terms of a prophetic significance, the first prophetic significance of this word is found in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. And I want to read a few verses in Genesis 49 because these are applicable to Jesus in both his first coming and his second coming. In Genesis chapter 49, beginning in verse 8, it says this, Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion, who shall rouse him? Now this is speaking of Jesus prophetically in his first coming, how he bowed down and humbled himself to come in the flesh in the first place, but then also about him lying down and being nailed to the cross, and no one was able to rescue him from that. He would not allow it. God would not allow it because it was the will of God to save people. Verse 10. The scepter, that's something a king rules with and holds, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh or Shiloh comes. Now that's not talking about the city of Shiloh where they put the tabernacle when they, when Joshua and the children of Israel were first in the land until it, it moved and so forth with David. But it's talking about the person. It's a messianic title for the Messiah, Jesus, Yeshua. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes, until Messiah comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. And then it goes on and it speaks a few more prophetic words about Jesus. So the very first messianic word here tells us that the tribe of Judah will be the one from which the Messiah comes and there will be a brand new season when Messiah comes and he will have kingly rule. So portions of this were fulfilled at his first coming and the rest of this will be fulfilled when he comes again because then he is coming as the conquering King of kings and Lord of lords. Praise be to God. So then we find other uses of this. There are hundreds of uses of these words in the scriptures in the Old and New Testament. I just want to point out a few. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 6 and verse 10, we see it again where it was used to signify a different event. Exodus chapter 12 was when they were given the instructions for the Passover and they were to choose the lamb on the 10th of the month and then they had to keep it and take care of it and examine it until the 14th of the month. And on the 14th of the month, a totally different thing had to happen. So it's used there in reference to that. I love in Psalm 57, verse 1, in Psalm 57, verse 1, it says this, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, 
for my soul trusts in you. And in the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. And I wanted to read that to you because that is one particular scripture that the Lord has used to comfort me in a special season where I've been dealing with a particular thing. And this has now happened for several years. However, I cling to this verse because I know that it's telling me that there's coming an end to this. And there's coming a time when this season of suffering will end and a new season will come. And these calamities that we experience in life will be over and done. And so it's a, it's a verse of hope. And perhaps if you've been dealing with something on a ongoing basis, you might cling to this scripture because there will come a time when the calamities and the worries and the hurts and sufferings of this life will end. And so we hide under the shadow of God's wings until that day comes. Praise be to God. So I hope that gives you hope. In Psalm 73, verse 17, Asaph writes words indicating that he struggled with understanding how it seemed like the wicked just kept prospering and all of this evil never got dealt with and there was never any justice that came until he went into the sanctuary of the Lord and he got alone with God and he realized the, their end and he realized, oh, no, 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 no. They're not getting by with any of this. God will have his vengeance. God will make all things right in his timing. So it's used there in that passage. It's used in Psalm 104, verse 23, signifying a different time of the day, for instance. It speaks in that psalm about how people usually go to work during the daytime until the evening. And then they come in in the evening and they rest and enjoy dinner and relax and sleep and so forth. I want to read Psalm 110. In Psalm 110, verse 1, it says this, The Lord said to my Lord, David is writing this, and he's talking about God the Father speaking to God the Son, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And this happened when Jesus ascended. We see that in the New Testament. We have the writers telling us about how he ascended and now sits at the right hand of God. And so this is the fulfillment of Psalm 110, partially. And the ultimate fulfillment will be when Jesus comes again and his enemies are made his footstool when he defeats them once and for all. Then I want to read to you Daniel chapter 7. This is another prophetic one that is yet to happen, but it will. We absolutely know that it will because God is faithful to his word and he's got a proven, perfect track record. Absolutely perfect. Daniel chapter 7, verse 21 and 22. I was watching and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days came and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. So here we're talking about still a future time, but it is set. It's set in stone, you might as well say, because it is written. 
and it will not and cannot be changed. Praise be to God. So we look forward to that coming day. In the New Testament, we see at the very beginning chapter of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, we see a record of various dispensations of time listed. And you can read that. You can see where there was so many generations until, and it would say, so-and-so beget so-and-so until the carrying away to Babylon and until the dispensations of these various generations are listed for us there. And so we see that very clearly in Matthew chapter 1. I want to read this one to you that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 13. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 13, it says this, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. So John ended the season or the period of time for the law and the prophets to be ministering. There was a new day now. A new era arose with Jesus coming on the scene. Matthew chapter 23, Jesus prophetically speaks to the nation of Israel. And he says this in verse 39, For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is speaking of him leaving the nation of Israel because of their rejection temporarily. He's not forgotten them. He's not done with them. We saw that when we went through the book of Romans and we looked at in depth all that God had to say about the nation of Israel and their future and its blessed for those who will believe in him and that remnant that will remain. And they will say to him, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. But until that day, Jesus has now begun to work through the church. And so he's telling them that there's coming a different season for them down the road. Then in Matthew chapter 24, verse 38 and 39, For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be, will the coming of the Son of Man be. So we see it used here, referring to that time period as well. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 29, Jesus is speaking. He's giving the cup of redemption to his disciples, and he reserves the fourth cup of Passover, and he says these words about that cup. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So he's saying here, this is reserved. And the next time I drink this, I'll be with you in heaven, in, in my Father's kingdom. We will be together. That's when we will drink this again. Praise be to God. Then in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, Jesus is speaking here and he says this, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. A new day is coming. A new season is coming. A new empowerment is coming. 
and it was promised by Jesus, and it is the filling and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Then in Acts chapter 3, verse 20 says this, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his prophets since the world began. So here we see it used again, until there is a different time coming. Right now, this correlates with Psalm 110 verse 1 and other scriptures in the New Testament where Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, but there's coming a time when he will come again and this time of restoration of all things will happen. So we see scripture supporting the idea of these various dispensations or blocks of time, seasons, ages, errors, whichever, era, eras, whichever you would like to call it. In the Greek idea, it definitely has this stewardship theme in these various time periods. Now, theology will tell us that this is clearly fitting scripture, dispensationalism, if you want to call it that. That's the theological term. But it's just very plain when you read the scriptures. Theology does teach that there are seven dispensations. Five are past, one we are now living in, and one is in the future which we are awaiting to come. They will tell us that there was the dispensation of what they call innocence, and that's the time period when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden before they fell. That's from Genesis 1-1 through Genesis 3, about 19 or 20 or so. Then there's the dispensation of conscience from Genesis 3.23 through 8.19, about 1,650 years. And in that time, we have the time period where Cain and Seth and their families up until the flood were stewards of that time period. Then the third one is human government from Genesis 8.20 through Genesis 11.9. That was the time period where Noah and his descendants were the stewards from flood to the Tower of Babel, which was about 430 years. Then there's the time period or the dispensation of the promise, Genesis 11.10 through Exodus 19.4. The stewardship there was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs and their families. This was from the promise of Abraham for about 430 years later. Then there's the dispensation of the law, from Exodus chapter 19, verse 5, through John, the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verse 30. The stewardship here is Moses and the children of Israel as a nation. This was about 1,500-year time period, and it was from Sinai until Jesus dies on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, this is very important for us to understand it brought the end of the dispensation of the law because of his death fulfilling all the demands of the law and bringing in true salvation, atonement, and redemption that the law could not do. 
I want to read to you John chapter 19, verse 30. And it says this. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. When Jesus was dying on the cross, he said it is finished, meaning it is now completed. I have fully discharged my duties. I have met every demand that the law and the prophets placed upon me, everything that God had spoken. I have now fulfilled. It is finished. And he finished his last breath with, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, committing himself and his death and the blood that was shed for the sacrifices necessary to pay our sin debt in full. He was saying to God, I entrust it to you now that you will fulfill your word and I will be vindicated and you will raise me from the dead. And God did just that, accepting his payment. So that completed everything necessary for me and you to be able to be saved, to be able to be justified by faith alone, because we don't have to work for our salvation. Jesus has paid it for us. He has paid the cost. He has paid the wages of sin for us. And we can believe in him and be set free. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. Then the dispensation that we are living in today, Theologians refer to it as the dispensation of grace or the age of grace or the church age, you may hear it called, or the season of grace. You might even hear it referred to as the window of grace. It began with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection when God accepted his payment, and then it was empowered by the coming of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father that we know it came in Acts chapter 2, and it is still ongoing today. We are currently in this age or this season of grace, this dispensation or this window of grace. This is the time when all sinners can repent and be justified by faith alone, which is what Romans chapters 1 through 5 teaches us. Hallelujah. We are his ministers. We are the stewards of that. The stewards of this age are the church, the church members, the individuals in the church, individual believers in Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus Christ and disciples. Every one of us is a minister and a steward in this age of grace. I want to read you a few other verses about this. I want to first read Galatians chapter 4. And I want to read verses four and five. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. In other words, born in the dispensation of the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Right now, we can receive the adoption as sons because Jesus fulfilled all the law and it's a new season. It's a season of grace. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, it says this, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God 
which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. So Paul is speaking here about the dispensation of this time and season of grace, this age of grace, and how he has now become a steward of that message so that he must deliver it and preach the good news, the good news that we are not under the season of the law any longer. All of its demands have now been met in Jesus Christ, and we are now in the season of grace. Praise God. True grace, not greasy grace like it's thrown about today that just anything goes and you can live any way you want to. We're talking about true grace from God that sets a sinner free, washes away their sins, writes their name in the Lamb's Book of Life, and makes them brand new with a new heart, with a new desire, with a new first love. And that is Jesus Christ himself. Praise be to God. Paul speaks about it also in Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. He says this. He talks about in verse 24, rejoicing in his sufferings for their sake, for the sake of the Christians and the those who will hear the message and the sake of the edification of the body of Christ. Then he says in verse 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. And then he goes on down and he talks about warning and teaching every man, because that's what God has called him to do. And so too, it's applicable for us as well. This window of grace is going to end. Some theologians believe it ends at Revelation chapter 3, verse 22. I would say more so it's Revelation 4, 1, or in that same time period, this transition time period that we are looking at right now, definitely ending by 4, 1. This will transition us into the final dispensation. I want to look at Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10 and it says this that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. So he's talking about this coming dispensation new dispensation that fulfills all the others and wraps everything up and brings all things together in Christ Jesus. Acts chapter 3 verse 21 also speaks of this, which we read earlier, speaking of the fact that heaven had to receive Jesus back when he ascended until the restoration of all things or restitution of all things comes. That's this final dispensation 
and we refer to it as the millennial kingdom or the Messiah's kingdom. It's when Jesus will establish his righteous rule. It would include the tribulation days, the day of vengeance of our God, and the time that he enters back into the world comes at the second coming and establishes his kingdom in Jerusalem on earth. It is referred to many times by the prophets in the Old Testament as the day of the Lord. And it would begin with Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, and continue through Revelation 22 in the end. So now during this period of time, this is when we are alive. And our stewardship, we are the stewards of the age of grace that we are now living in while we await the coming of the Messiah in his second coming to establish his millennial kingdom. And so now we are to be stewards of this time period. That is telling us that we need to prepare for the Bema Seat judgment of Christ. I just want to read this scripture to you as we begin to draw to a close here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. It says this, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For, in other words, the reason being, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And that word for bad means worthless or useless. This is talking about the Bema Seat judgment of Christ, which every single Christian will be a part of, every single true believer in Jesus Christ. Now, I have a series on that where I go in detail through Scripture and teach a lot about the Bema Seat judgment of Christ. If you're interested, you can look that up in the archives. It's entitled Beaming at the Bema. And it's a series, there there are several lessons in there, and I take you all the way through and discuss that, who's going to be there, what's it all about, etc. And then I want to read a few closing things to you, because the Bema Seat is about faithfulness. It's about giving an account of what we were to be stewards of, and what has been entrusted to us, and how we handled it, how we managed it, and what we did with it. And so I'd like to share this poem that I wrote I wrote several years ago. I wrote this, and I'd like to share it with you. And it's called The Puzzle. Sitting at the table looking down, so many pieces all scattered around, I will take them one by one and place them where they belong. Each on its own is incomplete. Fit together, I'll have a masterpiece. Without them all, it's left undone, if I'm missing even one. So I'll fit them all where they should be, and a work of art then all can see. Sitting on the throne, looking down, so many people all scattered around. I will take them one by one and place them where they belong. Each on his own is incomplete. Fit together, I'll have a masterpiece. Without them all, my work's undone, if I'm missing even one. I'll fit them all where they should be, so my glorious church the world can see.
I pray that that ministers to you and that it's a blessing to you wherever you are, and it's an encouragement to you because you are one of those puzzle pieces that make up the whole of the church. Let us fit in our spot and allow God to use us where we belong so that he can shine through his church, which is his desire. I'd like to close with reading a few quick scriptures to end us here. First of all, I want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Praise be to God. Also in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24, Paul tells the church at Colossae this, And whatever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Hallelujah. In this dispensation or age of grace, the church is the steward. Every single one of us is a steward of what God has entrusted to us. We need to fulfill our ministry, fulfill our responsibility, preach the word, and make disciples. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16 and 17. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will... I have been entrusted with a stewardship. Verse 18, what is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. Beloved friend, Jesus commissioned every one of us to preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe what he has commanded and baptizing them when we have opportunity in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, straight from the mouth of our Lord. May he find us occupying till he comes. May he find us doing his will when he comes. And may every single believer in Jesus Christ hear him say when he welcomes us into heaven, let us live in such a way that we hear him say to each and every one of us, well done, good and faithful servant. I pray this has been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes of Truth Tidbits. God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.